Hello, welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 35, and I got together with Jen Camp and America, my partner, and we talked about the first five wives of Joseph Smith. So this is an episode from Our Truth Be Told, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, everyone. I am super excited about um, the podcast today. We are starting our um, series on polygamy, and this is probably a subject that is part of almost every woman, I would say, um, transitioning out of the LDS church. Um, I'm sure a lot of men also, um, but I think for me, and um, I'll let Julia speak for herself in a second here, but um, it was a major part of um, what started my faith journey. So I am excited to start this today. Um, I've been counting down the days <laughs> to start these ones. So um, I'm going to bring on Julia, and she also has a special guest today. So I'll let her introduce her. Hi. So this is this is America. We were dating. We've been dating for a couple of years, and we were roommates at BYU-Idaho. <laughs> yep. we, we both married in the temple to men, and then we have since divorced those men, and we found each other. And so she is also an ex-Mormon, of course. Mm -hmm. And then she, I wanted her to come on to give another female voice to this, this problem of polygamy. I don't know what to call it, but like... I. I know that she, that was one of the things that maybe I'll ask you or like let you talk, but I think that was one of the things that brought her out of the church Yeah, is, is polygamy. So yeah, polygamy was um, specifically the story of Zina Huntington Okay, listening to the year of polygamy. And this was after I'd been deconstructing for like sort of a while, like, oh, I don't know, you know, like whether I fit in into the church or not. But when I like listened to her story, year of polygamy podcast, I was like, oh no, this is awful. This is awful. Like like kill it all kill it all it's all, it's all awful like i never liked it in the church either and like i remember my my husband at the time was like oh no yeah that's still a a, a celestial law or whatever and i was like excuse me <laughs> yeah they don't really talk about that much when you're an active member right well i was thinking just as you were introducing it like even as a missionary like i served in salt lake um, which is funny, but like uh, on my mission, I taught that Joseph lived polygamy, but that he only was marrying widows. And that's not true. Not true at all. So, No, like majorly not true. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, like for the most part, not true. I think maybe two. I don't remember, but it wasn't very many, like yeah. about 35 documented. Yeah. Wow. That's a problem. Yeah. Is it, what, what's the major um, polygamous wife of Joseph Smith that's in your mind, Julia? Because America, it's Zina, right? Okay. So who's yours? Well, like Zina was huge for me too, but like okay. there's a lot of, even going through these slides, the hardest ones are like probably Presendia. Like, so just, so not just polygamy, the problems, but like. Zina's sister, by the way, Presendia and Zina. Mm -hmm. So like these women, not these women really struggled and you, not just with polygamy, but just living in the 1800s was super hard. Yeah. And like they're losing children <laughs> all the time. And so like mm -hmm. some of these slides I can't read because um, these are real people and like, I can feel that. And like there, there's yeah. a lot of death and stuff like that. So anyway, there's, 
just a lot of problems. That's the real reason I'm here is to read the sad story. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. And we have a lot of slides today. And this probably is going to be one of our longer podcast series because okay. we want to give, you know, some time to each one of these and kind of get to know them. Um, these, the wives of um, just Smith. So, um, or these stories is kind of what I was going to say. So, um, should we, let's see, I'm just going to pull up the slides that Julia always does such an amazing job on and we'll, I'll kind of, um, give the mic over to you, Julia, to start. And then, um, America, just come in whenever you want to, I'll chime in. You, you let us know, Julia, if you have questions and stuff like that, but we'll just kind of go through each story, how it's like impacted us. Mm -hmm. I'm more, uh, connecting with stories. So I don't usually remember all the tiny details. I'm more empathy and just kind of take in their whole story. So I think it will be good to have us all here today. Yeah. All right. Uh, you are the first one. This is just getting us started. So this here, um, it's sort of like, I guess, a table of contents of what we will be talking about. And the ones in italics are ones that I I have included there were Joseph is proposing to these women or there's some kind of allegation there um, that he, they were he was turned down. So I've added these women. They're at the end of this podcast, though, because I wasn't sure where to stick them. Um, but that's that's just the timeline of everybody. And then throughout this, I wanted to also give a timeline of what's going on with Joseph and Emma and wh when they're having kids and what's going on in the church, because I think that's I, I'm interested to see what was happening with Emma, like if Joseph yeah. was. If she was on bed rest with kids, did she just have a kid? Did she just lose a kid? And what was Joseph doing? Which happened a lot. As far as polygamy. Yeah, a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that you put in the ones he proposed to and said no. I think I haven't really seen that in other podcasts okay. and things like that. So I'm yeah, really so, excited that you did yeah, that. And I'm hoping to keep adding those. Those are just the ones that I found for this one. He, most of his proposals that were documented that were turned down came later. Yeah. In like the mm -hmm. next set of people in the 1842. So Joseph, I just wanted to start with, start out with Emma. So Joseph and Emma were married in 1827 in the very beginning. In 1828, they lost an infant son. He was never named. In 1831, they lost a set of twins. And people will recall that when they lost these twins, they got the Murdoch twins. Um, I don't want to say replacing them, but just somebody else had passed away and he, they, he, they were able to take care of their twins. And then again, in 1832, they had Joseph Smith III, who does survive to adulthood and he starts the other breakoff churches. And he was convinced that polygamy never happened because Emma never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And then he went around and gathered up these, um, the evidence that he was a polygamist. So, yeah. Okay. So this one I just thought was interesting because Emma, uh, never wanted to believe or I guess convinced herself that Joseph wasn't actually a polygamist. I can just imagine how hard that would be for her. Sort of afterwards, right? Like there's a lot of evidence that she knew during the time, but afterwards she kind of convinced herself that it didn't right. happen. The fun, the fun, yeah, that's the funny thing to me too. Like America was saying, like if she, you obviously know she knew about it <laughs> and what was happening. So if she doesn't believe that these were actually polygamous wives, then he had a lot of girlfriends, you know, yeah, that he knew right. about and like a lot of adultery going on and things like that. So, I mean, it is one way looking at it worse than the other. I don't know. It, I just feel for her so much. Yeah. <laughs> I think 
personally, I think, it's, what did I call it? I can never remember the word. Um, cognitive co- I think it's cognitive dissonance. Like, yeah. knew, but she didn't want to know. And so she mm-hmm. like, it's like, nope, that didn't happen. That didn't happen in order to just deal with it. Like, yeah. because she did love Joseph and like, that was her life. And like, yeah. all of the things that she went through had to be for something good. And like, right. as an adulterous man that had well, 35 extramarital affairs can't be very good for your brain you well, know but also the same the same aspect i'm thinking now because like these women also never never spoke ill of polygamy because they also themselves have done this huge thing in their lives and they don't want to think of it as wrong so they right. spend the rest of their lives defending it defending it yeah mm-hmm. like just because you defend yeah. something does not mean that it was good for you or okay Right. And you, you can see that actually in the journals of some of the polygamous wives that we'll get into later, but like Helen Mark Kimball, like mm-hmm. at the beginning, you can tell it's breaking her. Like she does not want to do it and it's mm-hmm. breaking her. But then later in years, she like defends it. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on and, and you can't like, it's what they're surrounded by, you know, yeah. and it's going to happen no no matter what their mindset's going to change that way i would think so yeah yeah so i wanted to start off with this one where um this is a conversation this is the woman named lucy smith which is ironic but um because joseph's mother's name yeah. is yeah. Mr. Yeah, smith so she's the second wife wife of joseph or excuse me of george albert smith who was one of the 12 apostles mm-hmm. in the early church so this woman is saying, Sister Emma bore testimony to me that Mormonism was true as it came forth from the servant of the Lord, Joseph Smith. But she said the 12 had made bogus of it. She said they were living with their wives. She's speaking of polygamous wives and raising children. And Joseph never taught any such doctrine. They were only sealed for eternity. So she's denying that it's happening. But then the next slide is his response to, to Lucy. He says, George A. Smith or George Albert Smith. Oh, sorry, George Albert. I'm pretty sure it's George Albert. So he says, Emma knows better. He then related to me the circumstances of calling on the prophet one evening about 11 o'clock as he was out on the porch with a basin of water washing his hands. I said to him, what is up? And said, Joseph, one of my wives has just been confined and Emma was midwife and I have been assisting her. He said she had granted a number of women for him. So he's saying, Emma already knows that he lives, he lived polygamy. She's given wives to him. She was present at some of the ceilings. And apparently um, was even the, a midwife for them. Right. So this makes me wonder, yeah, if um, whoever she was midwife for, was it was Joseph's kid or I don't know. Um, it's, the, I mean, it seems to be from the statement. Right. So he so that means Emma knows that Joseph is having sexual relationships with these women because of this thing that has this conversation that occurred with him and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so 1833, um, we see Mormonism's first plural wife, which is Fanny, <laughs> Fanny Alger. Fanny Alger. Yeah, so the, yeah, so we, we were debating on putting uh, marriages and parentheses through this whole thing. <laughs> and wife. And wife, just because mm-hmm. and, and when, where they were living now, there's, it's very legal. You're not allowed to have more than one wife. And so. none of these were legal. So technically, yeah. he's only married. They one. were all affairs. Well, you have to look at it from a believer's perspective. Too. All right, fine. Okay, anyway, so Fanny's <laughs> background. So Fanny was born on September 20th of 1816 in Massachusetts. She was the fourth of 11 children. Her uncle was Levi Hancock, who was a prominent Mormon and friend of Joseph Smith. Fanny's life is mostly undocumented, and a lot of these women, we can see that. They're, they didn't keep journals, or some of them kept better journals. 
Benjamin Johnson, a friend of Joseph Smith, uh, was describing Fanny, and he said she was very nice and comely, a woman, a young woman of whom everyone seemed partial for the amiability of her character. So he's giving her just nice and pretty. She's nice and pretty. Yeah. So with this, with Fanny, you'll see a pattern with Joseph, and I'm trying to doc. I'm trying to document these patterns too. There's a pattern of Joseph living with in the same house with the women that he eventually marries. So mm -hmm. according, yeah. So according to Annaliza Webb Young. Mrs. Smith had an adopted daughter, a very pretty, pleasing young girl, about 17 years old. She was extremely fond of her. No mother could be more devoted, and their affection for each other was a constant object of remark. So absorbing and genuine did it seem, which I love that relationship that they had. I just think that's really mm -hmm. tender and special. Fanny was living with the Smiths as a hired girl or live-in maid. This begins the pattern of Joseph Smith seeking a spiritual wife from young women that um, who he at one point lived with. So We'll see that throughout all of these wives. So I think this is also interesting. So the church tries to push her date differently to fit the narrative of when the when the revelation of polygamy came out. But mm -hmm. according to the Joseph Smith Papers website, they say that Joseph Smith was likely married to Fanny in sometime in the mid 1830s. So but, mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. When I when I first started um, learning about her, I think the narrative was 1833. Um, and then as the things came out from the church, it seemed to go, um, to 1831 ish is mm -hmm. now what I okay, think so that's earlier and earlier Okay, mm -hmm. because of the, um, this certain writing that the church, I'm trying to remember like the certain like writing in a journal that they're like trying to say is like when he first got the revelation and it happens to be like 1831, like they're trying to make it be that. So it, they can include oh, Fanny yeah. in the, you know, in yeah, the special um, marriages, but. Which yeah. yeah, that would actually check out with, with the next thing that. Okay. This is a fact that I'd never heard it. Oh, you're talking um, about, you're talking about dating yeah. the marriage, but I, but I think what you're referring to is them saying when the revelation came to Joseph. Yeah. In 1831. Right. right. But that mm -hmm. would line up with the story about trading wives. I guess. Right. right. Cause but, I haven't. Well, but I'm still really confused. Cause if you keep going. Okay. Okay. We'll keep okay, going. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole timeline. Oh, I guess it's not yet, but, um, so there's a pattern. Another pattern is that there's a male intermediary. There's a, he'll approach, yeah. he'll approach a man who will then approach the woman. And then, yeah. Someone that she knows and loves generally. Right. That so she trusts. it's the yeah. trust. Thing, yes. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To like kind of inoculate her to this idea. Yes. Yeah. So, so Joseph did not approach Fanny. Wait, on. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> well, I guess we don't really have to read this because it's kind of long, but like no, the, okay. the, the way this goes is just kind of, uh, like fairy tale, it sort of reads like a children's book where it's like Samuel, um, the prophet Joseph loves your daughter. Like, go ask, um, and go ask her for a wife. What say you? Yeah, and, and he says, go talk to her mom. And then the mom's like, I don't know, go talk to Fanny. And Fanny's like, okay, fine. And like, I don't know, it's just a really funny way of like laying out this random. Yeah, it almost sounds like Shakespeare. It's kind of yeah, weird. I guess. Or like yeah. videos. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just relaying messages anyway. So yeah. Okay telephone yeah but always that yeah i see that pattern too okay so this is another thing that i'm really confused about because this is what i was talking about yeah okay, okay. so Todd compton is the writer of in sacred loneliness he's an active member of the church and i'm pretty sure he's a defender of the church he uh he's just put in a lot of effort and research into these books because he has another one out the documents edition um but he reports that that joseph smith offered clarissa reed to levi hancock this uncle that 
just did this pattern of trying to get her to marry Joseph uh, in exchange for Fanny. So he says, I'll give you Clarissa if you give me Fanny. So Levi considers it a mission and he brought Fanny to Joseph and then was was then given Clarissa. Like Pokemon cards. <laughs> like trading <laughs> women. But I don't understand yeah, yeah. the history. The history tells us that Levi Hancock was married to Clarissa in 1831. So this mm -hmm. would either put Fanny's marriage to Joseph sometime in 1831, or they were talking about not Clarissa, but some uh, another one of Levi's wives because he had he was a polygamist and he had five other wives. So hmm. I don't know why Todd's making that. I don't know where the source is coming from, but I thought that was really interesting. And that would push mm -hmm. Fanny to even earlier. Yeah, that and would. Younger, so yeah, that would be, that would be like 14, right? Yeah, that, would, that would be really, really 14. That'd be 14. That's another she was 16 and 33, I think. Yes. Maybe, yeah, I could be wrong, but. No, I think that was correct though. I think she would have been really, really young, but. Yeah, wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, so that so so one of the biggest things with Fanny is this. There's two stories. Scandalous. There's uh, the quotes from Elder or uh, Elder uh, Cowdery, from Oliver Cowdery, <laughs> and then from this other guy. So I'm going to read these. So in a letter written January 21st in 1838, Oliver Cowdery wrote, "I did not fail to affirm that what I had said was strictly true. A dirty, nasty, filthy, and he wrote the word scrape across it out and wrote affair." <laughs> Um, yeah, a cousin Fanny Algers was talked over in which I strictly declared that I had never deviated from the truth on the matter. So he's saying this was an affair and I never said it wasn't an affair. <laughs> and then in another place, it was recorded that this is by William McClellan. He said one night she, Emma Smith, missed Joseph and Fanny Alger. She went to the barn and saw him and Fanny in the barn together alone. She looked through the crack and saw the transaction. She told me the story too was verily true. So those are kind of... Scandalous stories to me. Scandalous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that, that is actually the story that started my faith transition. Really? When so I, yep. I, uh, I was looking for a different thing and was trying to find like a answer for someone's prayer that wasn't coming true. And I just kept going and going and like following footnotes and following footnotes. And then it followed to Fanny Alger. And mm -hmm. I read this story of her and it like shattered, like my whole faith, like shattered because I'm like, okay, this isn't true. And then I would find another document and then another document. And I'm like, does it make sense? Like inside me, like in my heart, it didn't make sense that God in any form would do this to Emma in yeah. his name. Mm -hmm. And so it, it made no sense to me in any way that God would sanction a marriage to be celestial and then keep it a secret. Yes. from his first wife and then not only keep it a secret but the way that he would have her find out about it would be to go to a barn and look through a door and find them in an intimate setting yeah. together and i'm just like no that is not god to me yeah and that was kind of the shattering it was it was my whole i say backpack but my whole thing just all shattered all over the ground and from then on it was like one tiny little piece at a time because i i didn't like i was like nope it's gonna start now now after that story it's gonna start as nothing is true 
and you have to then teach me how this thing could be true instead of my other mindset like where everything's true and I'm trying to debunk the things that are false. Yeah. It was totally switched it for me. Yeah. So is it called the burden of evidence or something where it's like, like you, you start, what, I don't know what that's called, but just start with the clean slate, the scientific method. This is false until it's proven mm -hmm. true. Burden of proof is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you gave that back to the church. Prove to me that you're true rather than just assuming that it is. Yeah. That's yeah, it's a total my shift of that. But yeah, that that story is just like shattered me. So that yeah. oh, that one that one's hard for me to. Yeah, and then like with this part with the so there this is a very secondhand or roundabout way of reporting this, but but a man named William William Will reportedly quoting Chancy Webb who said Joseph De Joseph's dissolute life began already in the first times of the church in Kirtland. He was sealed there secretly to Fanny Alger. Emma was furious and drove the girl who was in, unable to conceal the consequences of her celestial relation with the prophet out of her house. Which um, mm -hmm. celestial relation, um, a few sources that I was reading, um, celestializing yeah. means <laughs> sexual relations. So it sounds like she was found pregnant maybe. Mm -hmm. um yeah and yeah, it's kicked out and i mean that kind of says that like she couldn't hide it like yeah. that that all the words kind of go with that but i actually pulled that same word i have that on my list too um the celestializing yeah and the celestial marriage is like a polygamist marriage where you are trying to have like posterity like it's a um, yeah you know, it's meant for a certain reason. <laughs> so well, I'm glad you said that too, because um, so the, the scriptures that are already out right now in Mormonism is the Book of Mormon. And in Jacob uh, two or one of in the book of Jacob, the, they give a reason for polygamy. And the only reason he says this is abominable, but the only reason God would command it is if he's trying to raise up seed. So mm -hmm. so having kids. So I just want to start by saying, let's just assume Joseph's having sexual relationships with all these women to to follow the book of mormon until unless we can see otherwise that they that, that they he was not having those types of relationships with them so like him having celestializing with fanny makes sense because that's following the book of mormon like mm -hmm. i don't know why because people in the church try to argue that joseph never had Some sexual relations <laughs> yeah anyway yeah there's just so many accounts of them documenting it or saying something about it that yeah. I, I mean, I could see if maybe it's one or two, but it's not, it's, it's a lot yeah. of different ones. Um, yeah. in fact, it's more yeah. likely that one or two maybe weren't, weren't. Yeah. 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 That yeah. makes more sense. Like if it, and I think there's, there's evidence for at least nine of these 35. And if he's having sex with nine, why not all of them? Like, mm -hmm. like I'm hoping it didn't happen with everybody, but um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, did family's marriage to Joseph Smith include sexual relations or a physical relationship? So Oliver's reaction makes me think that he's calling it an affair. So to him, this was sexual. William McClellan, he tells the story twice of the barn story. And that's whatever she's witnessing is shocking to her. That kind of makes me feel like what she saw was sexually inappropriate. Yeah. Um, in his 1885 quotation of the celestializing, again, we already discussed that where it's like, this really feels like it's sexual. And then in 1903,
Benjamin F. Johnson retells the story of that they were spied upon together in the barn. So like, I don't know, just this whole story just really sounds like it, it, it's she was found out and discovered and it was scandalous because it was a physical relationship. The whole mm -hmm. thing. The whole thing. Yeah. Well, and you even have like these are all quotes from men, but there's even quotes from I don't know if you have them on here. There's even quotes from women um, where the night that Fanny was kicked out, she didn't have anywhere to go and she went into another house. And there's quotes from the women who lived in oh, that that's house. True. I hadn't, I hadn't included those, but also another, I'm glad you said that though, because these women that were pulling out, they're included in there's, I think there's two dominant lists, dominating lists of Joseph's wives. And I think it was Eliza R. Snow that added her um, near the top saying added, that they were added Fanny. Added, to added Fanny. Mm. Like even Joseph's other wives are saying, yes, she was one of these women, these wives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, uh, Fanny's final statement on, on their polygamous union, when her when Fanny's brother questioned her about the relationship, Fanny replied, "This that is all a matter of my own and I have nothing to communicate. Which to me feels like there's something there that she doesn't want to talk about, so. Yeah, yeah. Like, so Fanny, after this, she moves, or in 1836, she gets married to a different guy. She's not, she's in Indiana. She's no longer with the Mormons and she marries this guy named Solomon C Custer. And they had nine children together. So, like, she's 100% um, out, out of the church. <laughs> she, I believe in her obituary, she's a universalist. Oh, yeah. She's, and yeah, I didn't that's who mm -hmm. her obituary was a universalist. Yeah. And I think only two of her nine children lived. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. Like, lived into hard. adulthood. So, yeah. Yeah. So, she had a hard life, too. Yeah. Okay. So even if you want to date Fanny to 1833 or 31, I still don't understand that if the church is trying to push it to 31 because of this. In 1835, the church came out with this, the DNC section 101, which was the statement on marriage. And if you go to the next, yeah. So uh, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman, but one husband. So Fanny's a problem because this is the statement in 1835. <laughs> so yeah. what, what, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. Lying. That's what's happening here. Yeah. So, so something to show what's going on with Joseph and Emma in 1836, they have their son Frederick Granger Smith, in in the middle of 1836, and then also in 1836, the Kirtland Temple is completed. Ta-da! <laughs> uh, so this I thought was really interesting. So, so far he's had one polygamous wife, but rumors are already happening that the Mormons are polygamous. So Joseph's having to answer this question. So he receives this question. This is this is printed in the history of the church. They said, do Mormons believe in having more wives than one? And Joseph says, no, not at the same time. But but they believe that if their companion dies, they have the right to marry again. But then he goes on to say, but we disapprove of them marrying quickly. We'd like them to wait a few months before getting married after their... their, their a few months. <laughs> yeah. So very high and, high and mighty of him to... He's like, they need time to mourn. <laughs> you just need to wait a few months, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the first denial of polygamy, even though it's he's just lying. Yeah. Yeah. So 1838 in June, in June, they have their other son, Alexander Hale, is born to Joseph and Emma. So, And then also that same year, it makes me wonder what's happening with Joseph, but he has this, he gets his second polygamous wife. All right, Lucinda Pendleton. I'm going to read about her. So Lucinda, Lucinda's background, she was born September 27th, 1801 in Virginia. She had at least three sisters, so she may have had more siblings. Um, one description of her uh, survives, says that when she was 42, she was a short person with light hair and very bright blue eyes and a pleasing countenance. 
So she's uh, blonde so, haired, blue eyed, and pretty. <laughs> so and then she's pretty at the age of 42. Imagine her in her 30s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had a really interesting life. She was the only only a person, only American to be married to two martyrs. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Oh. So William Morgan was her first husband. He was an anti-Masonic martyr. He was kidnapped and apparently murdered before he could print his expose on Masonry. And then... Um, There's a whole background for him that we're not... super We're not going to have time to go into. Yeah. He is. He has his own his own story. Oh, check like, it out. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, a lot of what we know about Lucinda is because they were researching him. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's very interesting. Well, that's so, how we know about her death and whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So after the death of, of, I forgot his name. Morgan. Morgan. <laughs> Morgan. Yeah. Uh, Lucinda married a man named George Washington Harris. Um, so they were married November 30th. Um, he was a Mason, but he had withdrawn from it. Um, and then in August 1834, Orson Pratt served a mission in Indiana and baptized them. Um, and George bought land in far west Missouri in 1835. And then in early... So this is to continue with the patterns of living in the same house. In early 1838, the saints in Missouri organized to give their prophet and a proper welcome when Joseph Smith reached far west. He had been in Kirtland, Ohio um, on February 24th. Um, her husband, along with several other brothers, was appointed to meet Joseph with wagons and financial aid. Then on March 14th, Joseph recorded, we were immediately received under the hospitable roof of George W. Harris, who treated us with all kindness possible. Here we refreshed ourselves with much satisfaction after our long and tedious journey. The Smiths stayed with the Harrises for about two months, then moved to their own house. Now, um, there are some there's some speculation that the phrase we refreshed ourselves means sexual relations again. But there's, you know, that's questionable. We don't know. But um, and then... So when Lucinda marries Joseph, there's no firm date, um, but the, during those two months is probably the best possibility because they were together. Uh, Joseph was 32, Lucinda was 36. It was likely that George Harris gave permission for the marriage since he was a close friend of Joseph Smith, as well as a church leader. He says he actually later stood as a proxy for Joseph in the Nauvoo Temple as his wife was sealed to the dead prophet for time and eternity. So he was married to her during life and then sealed they did a lot of uh, proxy sealings after his death for mm. i don't know paperwork reasons <laughs> um did their relationship between you know between lucinda and joseph smith did it include physical um well so george was sent on a mission in july 1840 to collect funds and materials for a church publication his mission lasted an entire year and he returned home September 1841. Though there is no record of an intimacy, which I mean, who writes that down? Yeah. Um, one can mm-hmm. speculate that during this time, Joseph and Lucinda had physical relations. Another aspect that might hint at sexual relations is that in 1842, this is, this is interesting and scandalous, the Relief Society began with Emma Smith as the president and Lucinda's name never shows up in the minutes. It is possible that there was tension between the two women two women on account of them both sharing the same husband. So, I mean, sounds like Emma just really loved having like Miss White. Additionally, Lucinda was sealed to Joseph Smith for time and eternity with George standing as proxy for the prophet. And then she was sealed to George for time only. So that is interesting, right? Yeah. So I feel, I've heard a lot of apologists argue that way where it says, if it says time and eternity, that generally means that they are, Having for, for sexual Earth life and yeah, so but so and, why would you be sealed to a, the dead prophet 
who's already dead. Why would you be sealed in for earth life? Unless you're trying to like retroactively. Yeah. So like to me, that just is a, that indicates to me that they probably had sexual relations and she's trying to cover, they're trying to cover their bases with being sealed to Joseph. I don't know. So illegal. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and again, it wasn't. So until this time after he had passed away, he wasn't sealed to her. Right. Is that okay. their first sailing? Oh, to jo <laughs> Joseph's first sailing? Yeah. To I her? To her. Oh, was yeah. That the first time they were sealed, him and. Or were they sealed secretly in the I two months that they lived together? Wait, so the temple. So that's a really good question because the. Uh, the I don't know that the current. So that's a good question about when did the sealing powers actually happen? So the Kurland Temple was just completed in 1830s. Was yeah, it six? Like so just like a couple years before, like, I don't, I think Joseph's, from what I remember, is that he wasn't actually sealed to them in the temple the first times around. Like, I think he, like, with the other sister wives, they, like, redid the ceremony for Emma's sake. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have, a, I have a feeling he wasn't sealed to her himself. I don't know that I don't know that he was. All I can say is what that I would them? hate to be in charge of his taxes because this is all very unclear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a good question on when did when did the ceiling power actually um was it actually happened in Kirtland? So I don't I don't remember. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, there's right. a lot of questions on timing. Right. Because the, the polygamy date doesn't happen until 43. So that was the one that's in my head. I didn't think about like which one. Like when did the power of sealing happen? Right, because they're they're doing this all very secretly, right? Lucinda yeah. is Lucinda the yeah. one? No, no, it's the it's the next one. Anyway, they're they're still secret. This is still secret, so I don't think that they would have done it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they would have been there. Um. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it's just so interesting to me. Yeah, is, I don't know. It's just uh. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. We'll keep going. While I think about this for a second. <laughs> okay, so this is so the death of Joseph Smith. This is just to show how much he cared. Um, so, in a council meeting on June 10th, her husband um, George was in support of the Nauvoo expositor being destroyed. Harris spoke from the chair and expressed his feelings that the press ought to be demolished. Which is really interesting because it just said that jo George was likely to have given permission to Joseph to be in this polygamous relationship. The whole thing with the Nauvoo expositor is to expose him for being a polygamist. So. It's just weird because, like, you know that he's a polygamist because he's married to your wife and you're advocating for Jeez. Joseph to destroy it. Well, maybe that's because the world had a different idea. They thought it was like they didn't think of it as spiritual. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some apologetic answer. Well, and like, wouldn't you be embarrassed to tell the world that your wife is married to somebody else? Well, yeah, that's really. Uh, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so um, on June 27th, just 17 yeah. days later, Joseph was killed at the Carthage jail. Uh, Lucinda wept over his body and her whole frame convulsed. So, uh, yeah, as I was saying, so, so she seemed to love him uh, um, deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what became of Lucinda um, in the newspaper, her husband's lawyer wrote the following. To Mrs. Lucinda Harris, Madam, you are hereby notified that there will be on file in the clerk's office of the District Court of Potawatomi County, Iowa, petition of George W. Harris claiming of you a divorce from the bonds of matrimony now existing between you and the said George W. Harris and charging you therein with willfully deserting him and without reasonable cause absenting yourself for more than the space of three years. So she just vanishes. We don't, she yeah. just disappeared. We don't know what happened to her so, except that 
<laughs> so he died the following year, the husband. Um, and then according to a Mason writer who tracked down the life of William Morgan, right, the first martyr husband, Lucinda joined the Catholic Sisters of Charity and served in the hospital during the Civil War in Memphis, Tennessee. Although there's like there's speculation. There's, on that, yeah, right? there's speculation on what happened to her. But I, I like to think that that's true. We don't know if it is, but like going off and joining the Catholics and saving people. She's like, from... you know what? I'm done having a whole these husbands. I'm going to have no husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Catholic sister and be a nun. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would have done. Okay, so in 1840, and just to show where Joseph and Emma are at, Don Carlos is born. And then 1841, which is just the next year, Joseph takes the third polygamous wife. So this is Louisa Beeman. And she, if you go to the next one, she is, the saints know her as the first polygamous wife. I'm sh I, I wonder if it's because neither Fanny nor... Lucinda is stuck with the church and they both sort of fall off the record, the historical record. So, so she's stuck with the saints throughout going to Utah and everything. So they just see her as the first polygamous wife of Joseph, but she was born in February, 1915. She was the seventh of eight siblings. The first five never joined the church, but the, the ones closest to her are sort of prominent names in the church. There's um, Mary Adeline who married Joseph Bates Noble and, and this guy officiated in Louisa and Joseph's marriage. And then, or Artemisia. Artemisia marries Erastus Snow, who became an apostle. So, so big Mormons in the in the church. So, with just like with a lot of the other wives, there we don't have a lot of historical record for Louisa. There's a few letters and a few journal entries from other people, such as Heber C. Kimball, Zina Huntington, Eliza R. Snow, and there's a lot of these other wives that kept really faithful records, and so she shows up in them. So that's what where we're getting a lot of our information. So. This, I think, is a really interesting story. So one of the most fascinating mm -hmm. aspects of the church for me is treasure digging. And mm -hmm. there's this story that I heard um, of Joseph. He gets the plates and he hides them in the hearth in the house. And then he hears that these people are coming to, to take the plates away. So he moves them to the barn. But these two men come in and one of them has divining rods, which are like the... <laughs> Almost like the water rods, like they yeah. find wells with. Yeah. So he comes into the house and he's looking around and he they cross over when he gets to the hearth and he's like, oh, they're hitting it, they're hidden in the hearth. And Joseph's like, oh my gosh, like I'm glad I just moved them. But that guy who did the divining rods, that's Alva. This is Luisa's dad. So I thought that was really cool. And the the other guy with him was Samuel Lawrence. And Samuel Lawrence is the one who finds the who the first person to reportedly see the spectacles and mm -hmm. in the vision in the stone. Um, so like, to me, that's, uh, Joseph gets saddled with this, um, the, the Urim and or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 Has that's a right. So like Joseph has to, oh yeah, I see mm -hmm. them too. Anyway. So these two men were treasure diggers with Joseph and they felt like they deserved some kind of portion of the plates. Um, but Joseph, I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing because they're treasure diggers with Joseph and they just use their sticks to say that the mm -hmm. book of Mormon was under the hearth when it really wasn't there. Yeah, and how it's uh wrong again. Wrong That's again. Good point. <laughs> so weird. So weird. Oh, but nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh so after this, Joseph was able to convince Alva that the plates weren't meant to be sold, they weren't to make a profit, but they were to uh make him a profit. <laughs> they were to, like they were for more of a religious nature. So he becomes convinced that the Mormonism is the truth, and then there's a story here. Of his daughter Mary is saying that he once handled the plates with a cloth over them and on one occasion um, to help he helped Smith conceal them. And so during this whole time with the treasure digging, Louisa would have been 12 and Joseph would have been 21. So just to 
kind of put that into perspective of the age gap, I guess. How <laughs> she knew him yeah. as a much older so, man. But also, like, they, these are people to me that are, like, they believe in this magic worldview. They believe in spirits and sinking treasure. And I don't know. To me, that's just a... That's the saints in the early days. There's, yeah. This mm -hmm. is the kind of people you... Anyway. So again, there's a pattern of living in the same house. So in 1829, Alvis sold his farm and moved to Avon, New York, where one thing that was interesting is that he purchased the first Book of Mormon in that area that he could see. And then in the spring of 1834, Joseph Smith with some of his friends stayed a few days in, in the Beeman's house in Avon. Um, and so also uh, Louisa didn't write anything down, but her sister did. And Mary records that his society I prized, his conversation was meat and drink to me. And it is possible that Louisa felt the same way, but we don't know because she didn't write anything down. <laughs> and, and at the age of 62, her dad passes away. And afterwards, Louisa makes the first appearance in the historical record for the Mormons and that she travels to Missouri or Zion with some of her family members. So Heber C. Kimball is writing about her. And um, it's a really good thing we have other people's journals because we wouldn't know about these people. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, there's a pattern of the male intermediary. And so in the fall of 1840, according to Joseph Bates Noble, her brother-in-law, Joseph Smith taught him the principle of celestial or plural marriage or the plurality of wives, saying that an angel had given him a revelation on the subject, subject and that the angel had commanded him, Smith, to move forward in the said order of marriage. And I think the first time the angel shows up. Yeah, this is the first appearance of the angel. Smith then asked Noble to officiate in marrying Louisa to himself. The prophet said, in, in revealing this to you, I have placed my life in your hands. Therefore, do not in an evil hour betray me to my enemies, which is ultimately how Joseph Smith dies. So mm -hmm. not, because of, not because of Noble, but because of that being that secret being revealed. So, well, you shouldn't have so many dirty little secrets. <laughs> 1840. So does it, mm, do you know if, when Joseph Bates, Noble's first wife was? I don't, I don't know. I was wondering if he got an exchange there. Oh, he too. made it. Like That's the other. That's a really good question. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look, look up his. Yeah. I'll have to look up his first wife. Okay. We can do that. We can do that later. Or I can do it later. Okay. Well, anyway. So Louisa's marriage to Joseph, I think this is super interesting. So the the youngs have this like sort of tradition of talking, telling the stories of Louisa. So they say, Sister Louisa asked the Lord in fervent prayer for a testimony concerning the principle of polygamy. The Lord heard her supplication and granted her request. And after being conv convinced that the principle had emanated from God, she accepted it. And she was married to the prophet Joseph Smith. I don't really like the word convinced, but whatever. Okay, so <laughs> the, ceremony, yeah. Yeah. the ceremony took place April 5th of 1841. Louisa was 26 and Joseph was 35. So they're at least they're older. Erastus Snow, apostle and brother-in-law, said that she married Joseph Smith or married the Mormon prophet in a grove near Main Street in the city of Nauvoo, mm -hmm. Joseph Smith dictating the ceremony to Brother Noble, repeating it after him. And it says that Louisa was disguised as a man during the ceremony, which I find very interesting. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like very, very cloak and dagger. Mm -hmm. So did Joseph Smith have a physical relationship with Louisa? This is one of the, this is probably the first clear indication that he did. In fact, well, I guess Fanny was, is pretty clear to me. But in a court testimony given in 1892, Noble reported that after the marriage, he said to Smith, blow out the lights and get into bed and you'll be safer there. And he took my advice. Noble under cross-examination clarified that he did not actually see the couple get into bed, but he, Smith, told me he did. There is no good reason to doubt that Louisa's marriage to Joseph Smith included sexuality. Noble further testified under oath, question, where did 
they, Joseph and Louisa, sleep together? And he answered, right straight across the river at my house, they slept together. So he's very, Noble knows this is a, um, they're, they're having physical relations. Louisa was a single woman. I feel like she's the prime candidate, especially in DNC 132 for a polygamous wife. She's single, she's a virgin, go marry her. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's of age, so. Yeah. Yeah. So what became of Louisa? Um, so this is, hearing her story was really hard for me just because she's a very tragic, tragic life. But after Joseph died, so he asked Brigham and Heber to marry off a lot of his wives. And there was another guy that they kind of um, shared in marrying Joseph's wives after he died. But um, so she joined, she married Brigham, joined the other elite women in, in Utah. Uh, Louisa gave blessings, spoke in tongues, and is present for, in many of the diaries of these elite women. She was really good friends with Eliza R. Snow and Zina Huntington, and she worked as a dressmaker. And that's another thing about these polygamous wives is that they had to have an income because they had to provide for themselves a lot of times. So they were essentially single women. Yeah. And raising mm -hmm. their kids alone and working. Yeah. So in 1846, she bore a pair, she had a pair of twins to Brigham and then they died as infants. And then the next year she gave birth to another son who also died. And then the next year she gave birth to two more twins and they also passed away. So she's lost five children. And then in 1849, she starts seeing the first signs of breast cancer. And then she dies a year later in 1850. And she was only 35 years old. So that's like really heartbreaking to me because yeah. that's like our age. Like we're like, and having five kids die is just really, really hard. So yeah, very, very hard. Yeah. And having to be one of Brigham's wives. Oh, <laughs> additionally, very, very hard. Um, <laughs> he was not known as a great husband. No. But before we move on, I want to answer your question. Oh, about okay. Noble. So, um, he, so they were Joseph and uh, Joseph Smith and Louisa Beeman were married in 1841, right? Mm -hmm. um, Joseph Noble Bates married Sarah Alley and Mary Ann Washburn in about 1843. So yes, he did become um like this. But it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's an exchange. Yeah, a couple years later. Exchange, yeah. yeah. If they're his first. It, yeah. Yeah, those were his second and third wives. He had a he had a different wife. When was he first married though? Because sometimes Joseph would um his first wife was Mary. Oh my I've got too many sources open here. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> well, while she's doing that, so in 1841, so Joseph Smith's son, Joseph and Emma's son, Don Carlos, passes away, and he's only a year old. So the family's got to be going through this mourning process of, of this child dying. So, and go figure, he has his fourth, his fourth polygamous wife in the same year. Is your heart tearing out yet? Because mine but, is. Like, like, like Emma going through all of what's going on, and then he's just like, over there, like marrying her and sleeping with her in this house and, yeah, like, you know, sleep, having yeah. sex with her in this barn. Like, it's just heart wrenching. Yes. Like, I hate, I hate this so bad. And no wonder they cover it up. No wonder the church covers yeah. it up. Yeah. It's like, we'll tear your heart out. And we're only on number four. Like, we haven't even started number four yet. Yeah. Like, we've only talked about three of them. And there's yeah. 35. So, oh, Oh, anyway. Yeah. All right. Zina Huntington, my favorite. <laughs> um, okay. So Zina Huntington, wife number four. Um, she's the one of the best documented wives of Joseph Smith. She kept a diary and wrote a number of autobiographical sketches. 
She was born January 31st, 1821. So Joseph was born in 1805. That makes what? her 16 years yeah, younger 16. than him. Uh, she was born in Jefferson County, New York. She had seven older siblings. Two of them died before she was born. She had two younger siblings. Her older sister died in 1829 when Adeline was 11 and Zina was five. Um, so she describes her childhood as idyllic. Uh, she grew up in a large story and a half farmhouse with a dairy behind it and 200 acres of farm surrounding it. Her mother taught her how to spin and weave wool and sew clothes. She once wrote, I used to muse while watching the consuming bark log. <laughs> Sorry. While watching the consuming bark log in our old fashioned fireplaces. While I could not have been, why I could not have been born in a day when something was going on in the nations of the earth. Not that I wish to see distress, but some enterprise beyond that Sabbath meeting schools. Uh, my relatives were mostly close by as all I ever anticipated to see. So essentially she's bored. <laughs> she's, she's like, beautiful, but I'm so bored. I, I, I think of the log burn. <laughs> yeah, I think of the scene at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast where she's like, I want adventure in the great wide. Yes. Like, what Zaina's saying. She's like, I'm, I need something to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. She got an adventure. Oh, Which, oh sure. she did. Oh, <laughs> she, she sure did. So she found the Mormons in 1831. Zina's father decided to study the Bible more fully. He came to realize that none of the churches were right. It sounds familiar. Um, because none of them had prophets, apostles, or spiritual gifts. When her father heard the word prophet, he was at once anxious to meet, he was at once anxious to meet Joseph Smith. Because of his farm duties, her father William was unable to go, but his neighbor went and visited Joseph Smith and brought back a book of Mormon. Before even reading the book, Zina felt deeply impressed that the book was true. So she hadn't even read it. Um, but this is her testimony. I saw the Book of Mormon, that strange new book, lying on the windowsill of our sitting room. I went up to the window, picked it up, and the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit accompanied it to such an extent that I pressed it to my bosom in a rapture of delight, murmuring as I did so, this is the truth, true, true. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting. Just, just, like, yeah. um, before you even read the book, you know it's true. Um, well, yeah. uh, it makes me wonder if her father had been talking about it because like, oh, he had got the book and he had read it and he had set it on the windowsill. You know how sometimes, you know, your parents, you know, when they true. believe something so deeply, you're like, oh, I just I just know it's true. Well, like all of us when we were kids, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with our little testimonies up on the stand. Yeah. You know, sense. I don't know. I could see her like idolizing her dad or something and just yeah. wanting to be like him. Or finding yeah. it to be something exciting. Like, this yeah, is yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm no longer staring at logs burning in the fireplace. I'm, I have this book that consumes me and has stories. Yeah. And yeah, yeah true. despite never reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she might have read it eventually. I'm sure she read it. I'm sure she did eventually. She yeah. was really smart and really influential. So she mm -hmm. probably, she, she probably was a, yeah. Um, but at the time. <laughs> okay. So when she met Joseph Smith, um, she remembers seeing Joseph Smith for the first time. She described him as uh, six feet, light auburn hair, and a heavy nose, blue eyes, the eyeballs full and round, rather long, favored, long favored, long, long favored. favored. When he was filled with a spirit of revelation or inspiration to talk to the saints, his countenance would look clear and bright. I remember some of the people described him as whenever he would prophesy or testify or whatever, his face would just like, like drain of blood. Like he looks pale, very pale. So like. Or clear and bright. Clear and bright. I just thought that was an interesting thing. Um, so continuing on with the pattern of living in the same house 
1839, much of the family became ill, almost to the point of death. Zina's mother passed away on July 8th. Zina recalls that Joseph and his adopted daughter, Julia, tended to them in their sicknesses. Eventually, Joseph told them that if they remained in their home, they would all die. Joseph offered for them to stay at his house. Ironically, while she was staying with the Smiths, Zina met her first husband, Henry Jacobs. He was 23 and she was 18 when they met. Henry was a returned missionary. He'd gone on his first mission in January 1839. It was a short mission. After Zina recovered, she moved in with her brother Dimmick, and she and Henry continued courting. Um, so Joseph proposes to Zina for the first time. Um, during 1840, Joseph taught Zina concerning polygamy, but because Zina was most likely in love with Henry Jacobs and polygamy was not the Christian way, and that Joseph was already married to Emma, 19-year-old Zina turned down Joseph Smith's polygamous proposal. She seems to have felt conflicted about turning down the prophet of God, which I mean, yeah, <laughs> if you believe somebody's a prophet of God, you can't really, I yeah. don't know, it'd be really hard to turn them down. Yeah. In early 1841, so the next year, Zina made her choice um, that she would marry Henry. According to family tradition, as the day of marriage approached, Henry and or Zina asked Joseph to perform the marriage, and he agreed. On March 7th, Henry and Zina, with the friends and the family, arrived at the place designated for the marriage, but Smith did not appear. Instead, they turned to John C. Bennett, who was later very important, um, mayor of Nauvoo, and asked him to officiate. Zina must have felt relieved that she had avoided a polygamous union with Joseph. Dun, dun, Wait, dun. This, yeah, this story just right here just feels icky because, like, yeah, <laughs> they asked the prophet to 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 officiate to marry them, yeah. and he would have essentially given his blessing. Yeah, but he doesn't show up. Like, that's icky. Like that that sounds to me like a child pouting. Like, I didn't get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Gonna I'm not going to come. I'm not going to sell you. I'm not going to marry you. You yeah, lied like, to me. That's just icky, and I don't like that. Like, he could have showed up, and he could have had a discussion. Or he could have said, no, I don't feel comfortable about that. Like, why didn't he say no to begin with? And then they would have found somebody. Like, the day of your wedding to yeah, not true. have he could the have guy come to marry you. Like, that's a horrible wedding day. Yeah. It's a very stressful day. Yeah. <laughs> just have did that. I'm sure John C. Bennett did a good job. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. There's just so much going on. Yeah, it's a problem child. Okay, so Joseph proposes to Zina again. According to family tradition, she and Henry saw Joseph soon after the marriage and asked why he had not come. Uh, he told them the Lord had made it known to him she was to be his celestial wife. Um, and like he's the, he's saying this to Zina and them. Henry. Like, and anyway, uh, Joseph told her that God had commanded him to marry her. He apparently told them that he that they could continue living together as husband and wife, which was another pattern when, whenever Joseph married, already married women. According to tradition, Henry accepted this, but Zina struggled with this. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, again, yeah. yeah. Oh, my word. It's yeah. just, that's if just... anyone needs like a, if anyone needs like a, he was insane. There you go. <laughs> Just like a married couple, like a brand new married couple. He's like, actually, that's going to be my yeah, wedding. Like the day after, they're like, hey, why weren't you there at our no. wedding? You said you would marry us. And he's like, oh, because I'm I'm supposed to marry your wife. But keep living together. That's Wait. fine. Don't worry about that. Um, so also, yeah. I've heard apologists try to say that women weren't coerced into marrying him, but he's proposing three times. This is the... And he's, yeah. And how can you not be and coerced? They obviously haven't read Helen Mark Kimball's journals. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Like, you also, can't even like, say that. Like, also, like, if you're, like, I know women did, like, 
Turn him down. Turn him down. Like, can you turn down the the man who speaks for God? Can you turn him down? Right. Like, is that consent? Like, can you, can you have consent if you have that much power yeah, over Yeah, like, I don't. No. I don't, no. I don't, I don't the answer that. to that is no. Right. no. <laughs> okay, for anyone so, who's wondering. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. Oh, it's just so frustrating. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So continuing the pattern of male intermediary. In October, Joseph sent Dimmick, Zina's brother, to send a message to Zina. Mm -hmm. The message was that now an angel an with angel. his own oh. had stood <laughs> over Joseph and told him that he that if he did not establish polygamy, he would lose his position and his life. Which is strange to me that those phrasing says establish polygamy when this is his fourth fourth wife. So, so it's already established. Yeah, he's already started that anyway. Zina finally agreed to become a polygamous wife of the prophet. She records the marriage as taking place October 27, 1841. Zina was seven months pregnant with Henry's son. Okay, creepy weirdo. Yeah. Yes, this this is where this is why this one broke my shelf. Because like she was happily married. She had a baby on the way. And he's just like, no. Nah. You're mine, actually. I've got a bunch of other wives, but you specifically, you who have the love of your life, you're going to be my next wife. Yeah. And let's think about it. He went to her, asked her. She said no. She married another man the who next day, who she loves, the next day after their wedding, goes back to him, says, why weren't you there? And he's like, oh, because I was supposed to marry your wife. Okay. This is obviously at least seven months later. And he's still oh, that's true. trying to like coerce her into marrying him. Exactly. And I'm sure in those seven months, it was a no. Like yeah. it's a no. She's happily married. She's having their first baby. They're in love. They're excited about their firstborn. Like, but like, yeah. what is the purpose? Like if, if, if the purpose of uh, polygamy is to raise up seed and design, she's having kids she's pregnant if the purpose is to um marry widows she's married she doesn't need another husband she's got one like yeah, what is the purpose yeah why <laughs> like he doesn't if it's for him to, to have um yeah. wives and be um special in heaven he's already got some like he, they're not also, short on, but, on wives but also he doesn't know how to he like some people when a woman says no that's what they mean. That's what they mean. I have to say it. He proposed three times. At Did least you? three. At least three, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <sighs> yes, I'm... Yep. Okay. Anyway, okay. On. Although Zina recorded later that the reason for marriage to Joseph was because I was married to Mr. J uh, because I was married to Mr. Jacobs, but the marriage was unhappy and we parted. This hardly seems accurate as she married Henry just uh, seven months earlier. Additionally, her journals and his letters to her indicate a different reality for the relationship between them. Um, and then it says, Zina gave birth to Zebulon Jacobs on January 2nd, 1842. And he would then have two dads. <laughs> That's, yeah. And, you know, if the prophet tells you to your face the day after you get married that, you know, he wants to marry your wife and have celestial relation with her, I would probably be a little ticked off too. You know, maybe they yeah, did have some arguments that first year. Oh, Henry. You yeah. That, oh, well, that's yeah. very true. Yeah. That, you that could have been so. a point of contention. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that could be the contention that she's more whatever this yeah. quote is blaming on now, sound, but 
Henry sounds like he's more on board than Zina does. Yeah, he he like talks about how wonderful she is, and he like he talks about like oh, I, mean, I don't resent me, you, yeah. um, oh, Joseph or Brigham. It. Later, he I don't resent you. It's all fine. Um, I just love Zina, and I want her. I want to be with her like the whole rest of his life. Mm. And it's just heartbreaking that he, this. You're getting ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. Go to the next. <laughs> yeah, one. it is. Yeah. Okay, so did it and did their relationship include physical relations? Um, well, there's no formal record, of course. Why would there be? Um, Joseph sent Henry on a number of missions that would put him out of the way for the <laughs> relationship to take place. Two weeks after their first son was born, two weeks after their son was born, Henry was sent on a mission to Chicago. Joseph sent him personally. This would have been That's his mission. And then a year later, in 1843, Henry was sent on another mission, two to three months long. Uh, while there, his companion, John D. Lee, records that Henry would brag about Zina and almost worship her. This was his third mission. Later that year, Henry was sent on another mission to Western New York. He was sent on another mission to Tennessee in early 1844. So five missions total. And in how much time? When were they married? Oh, I don't know. 42, 41. 40, I can't remember, October 81. Oh, Joseph and her were married October? I don't remember. But yeah, super five missions. Five missions. So he's like never around for it, Zina or, or their kid. Yeah. So. so then after Joseph Smith's death, Brigham Young promised Zina that if she married him, Joseph, uh, Brigham Young, she would have a higher glory in the celestial kingdom. Though it is unclear why being sealed to, to Brigham for time was better than simply being being sealed to Joseph for time and eternity, Brigham never explained. Like what? What? Why? How does that? How is that better? I I don't know. It's like add, adding badges to your to your sash when you're first. Like Scout, Zina, you're, now you're married to two prophets. Oh, that's even better for you. <laughs> but and meanwhile, she's still married to Henry. They are still married. Yeah. What is the purpose? Why? Why does? Why does Brigham? Why? Yeah, what? that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, just let it be, right? Yeah, she's already she's already married to Joseph she was Smith with Henry and her husband. Yeah. He's still there. He's still like Lina's marriage to Brigham makes zero sense. Pointless to me because Henry was very active in church, serving five missions. Like, yeah, he was very faithful. I don't think he put this in here, but Brigham, when he took Zina as his wife, he basically insulted Henry and said, "You're not a good enough man for her." I, I will be. Of course here. he did. Yeah. 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 He was. I didn't have it in there. But um, and then let's see what else. After her sealing to the new prophet, Brigham sent Henry on three additional missions. So <laughs> eight total missions. And he went on all of them. I heard that he's gone on more, but this is, these are the ones that I could see. So I don't, he could have gone on more. Um, while he was gone, Brigham lived openly with Zina as his wife in winter quarters. While Henry was serving his mission, he wrote beautiful and romantic letters to Zina. He even wrote in one of them that Zina should tell Brigham that I have no feelings against him, nor never had. All is right according to the law of the celestial kingdom of our God Joseph. Yeah, I don't I don't know why he's saying God Joseph. Like um, I don't that's because weird. We, because they worship Joseph. <laughs> but also he's of the mindset that Clearly. they're still married, so he's he, even though Maybe she's he's grateful Brigham. to Brigham because he's off on missions and he can't take care of Zaina, but. Well, he could if he was there. Yeah. Um, so it became of Henry. Um, after he returned from his mission, he went with his companion, Oliver Huntington, who was Zaina's brother, to visit uh, Oliver's wife, Mary, who had recently received a letter from Zaina. Zaina expressed in the letter, 
that she was no longer married to Henry and that she was only Brigham's wife. Wait, so this is, so he, so Henry was off on a mission to England. He still thinks they're married. He comes home and then he hears this news that his wife is, that he's essentially divorced and he's, and he hears about it like third hand, yeah. basically not from Zina. So Zina tells Mary, Mary tells Oliver, Oliver tells him. So like that would have been heartbreaking to me. Like, yeah, eight missions and then she cuts him off. She, Anyway, basically her... run off with Brigham Young. Yeah. Um, Henry eventually married a woman named Seneth Babcock, but he seems to still have, he's to, to continued And I'm pretty sure Zina. he kept writing her even while he was married to a Seneth. Like I... And they, the two of them ended up traveling west with the saints. Henry wrote letters to Zina, which she preserved, but never got any letters in return. Um, family tradition tells us that Henry was eventually excommunicated because he <laughs> proceeded to try to win Zina back. In her own diary, Zina continued to record Henry's birthday for years after they were separated. What a, what a <laughs> dumb thing for Brigham to do. He keeps trying to win back his own wife. Excommunicate him. Yeah. Like, um, oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Henry eventually divorced a Seneth, married two other women, eventually married Sarah Taylor in 1860. Sometime in all of this, Henry left Utah, but returned just before he passed away and reportedly lived in a bedroom of one of Zina's house and um, something and was cared for by a hired woman. Zina may not have been living there as she often rented out the house. So Henry yeah, they, so yeah, they, the women lived with Brigham most of the time. So they would rent their houses out to make a little bit more money. And, and this, there was a source that said that Henry was in that house when one of her houses but was being taken care of for by another woman. So, so they and, may have been on good terms. Yeah. I don't know. Like he's, they've got to run into each other. Like he, he probably saw her with his two sons. I wish I knew what conversations they had, but we don't have that. So that would have been, been really hard. Yeah. Um, and then Henry died um, August 1st, 1886 and was buried in his temple clothes in Salt Lake city. So he was dedicated to the very end. Yeah, when you're buried in your temple clothes, that's an indication that you have are in good standing with the church. So it never yeah, was he rebaptized. I think he was. I think he um because he was excommunicated. Yeah, I should have written that in there. He was rebaptized later. Um, I think I don't know if it was Oliver, somebody in the family. I can't remember, but he was rebaptized. Good standing. There's no reason for him. The reason he got excommunicated was really stupid. Like because yeah. he kept trying to get his own wife back. Like yeah. none of this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what became of Zina? Um, like many of the other wives, Zina struggled with polygamy, not in belief, but in being. Um, Zina had to work to provide for herself. She relied on her siblings to help in her day-to-day -day life. She essentially raised her children alone. After her two sons with Henry, she had a daughter with Brigham, named her Zina, and then afterward adopted four of Brigham's children after their mother passed away. So essentially her sister wife um, passed away. Zina once recorded that a polygamous wife must regard her husband with indifference and with no other feeling than that of reverence. For love we regard as a false sentiment, a feeling which should have no existence in polygamy. Which is funny because he wrote her love letters. Well, yeah. Henry did, which she Henry wasn't did. with Henry anymore. And that, that's really, really hard. Oh, like, I thought they were from Brigham. Oh, no, no, no. no Brigham, no. Okay. Brigham expresses, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Brigham, even in some of his, in the journal of discourses, he even kind of um, is, he says the wives don't expect to, to receive that kind of love from your husbands. I'm pretty sure he kind of downplays that. Mm. I don't expect that. And Zion is also like getting that in her head. Like we shouldn't be in love because he's got 
50 other women to, mm -hmm. to and take care of. So, which would be really hard because if you're feeling love, I don't know how she felt about Henry. It doesn't look like, it doesn't sound like he was a bad husband, but she's yeah. keeping all of his letters. That's why we have them. And so she's getting this love from one husband and not at all from, from the other. And I, but if you've got it, it in your head, so sad. Yeah. yeah. Like, but if you've got it in your head, that love is a, a false sentiment, like, oh, this is just a thing that is like happening in your body and is not a real thing and is not necessary for your celestial life. And that's so um, sad. It, because she's it, been because she's been brainwashed that way. Because right. Brigham, there's no way he can be that to 55 women. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? You're, there's no way. And then, but Brigham's has an ego, and you know, he can't be like, but other men can't be writing my wife's, you know, saying yeah. that you know they're loved and adored and they're good human beings and you know, making them feel good. You can't have that. So now I gotta brainwash y'all. Do you think that love doesn't exist? That that's like a, like them doing that is like something's wrong with them. Like a carnal thing. Yeah. It's, they have to make it into something. He has to make it into something so his ego doesn't get hurt. It feels in line with like, you have to suffer to be righteous. Like, yeah, it feels oh, like of course. a similar thing. Well, passed down through the church, right? Mm -hmm. I was going to say like, I hate polygamy in general. I also would. I don't know how, what words to use. I don't want to say admire, but I appreciate that Joseph allowed his already married wives to stay with their husbands and he didn't try to interfere in that way. But Brigham's like cutting off these other men in horrible ways. Like yeah. Henry tried so hard. He's like, do you still love me? Like, are you, do you think of me? Like, like, and he's missing his kids. Yeah. Like, crazy. like, anyway, it's just. And even at the end, like even thinking of the story at the end, like she's she has a different home, obviously, but she's living, I'm guessing, with Brigham um, in these years where she's renting out her house to make money. I don't. I I think she's more living with her sister wives and like because okay. homes. I don't know that she was living well, with Brigham because Brigham had like fifty something wives, right? And yeah, only a certain number lived in the house house right, with him. Right, right? favorites lived in the house mm -hmm. with him. Right. Which but she, I, what I'm saying is like, she still had a tender place of love in her heart to allow him to come back and die in her home. Like oh God, be like go into her home and stay there yeah. and be taken care of. Definitely. And she probably wished that she could be there to be honest that by that time. I sure hope so. I don't you know, I don't know. Just, I don't know. I feel like a, there's a little something, at least she can recognize that I want to give him a place. That's true. I, like this I said, last a tiny happy this ending, as happy an ending as there could be with Brigham yeah, in the picture. True. But yeah. like Henry comes and dies in her house or at yeah. least, you know, stays in her house and then is buried with the saints. And like, yeah. that's the closest they could get, I guess. And he was around his kids. So he got to see them. When he was a, he was a musician. So it was Zina. That's how they connected. Mm -hmm. That's how they fell in love. So I wonder if the heartbreak was almost like, like fodder for his nature you know what i mean like he's a musician mm -hmm. who would feel strongly in this so cute. Makes sense. i don't know i just think i feel like their love story in the beginning is just so beautiful and it, then it's just ruined by well i wish i knew how she was feeling because like she, she says you know the, these women never spoke ill of polygamy because you're not supposed to do that right but like he's keeping these letters from him and he's like yeah like what was she thinking did you did she miss him like she's writing down his birthday i don't know like 
Yeah, I think she did because she's keeping the letters. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably because she's not getting love from Brigham. So she takes them out every once in a while and just reads love. I don't know. That's kind of how I like picture yeah, her. It's just so heartbreaking. Uh, like poor Henry. But it is. Yeah. So. That's what it comes down to, really. But, it's just um, so hard. Yeah. The, the good news is that Zina becomes like a really influential um, person. She was involved in voting rights. Um, oh, yeah. She's started know, helped start know. the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a lot of the mm -hmm. other episodes we've done about women yeah. with the priesthood and, and the even the, the timeline of the Relief Society, like um, a lot of these wives show up in those stories. Uh, like she, she was a really, really good prominent member of the church. So mm -hmm. Nina is one of the big ones. So, okay, yeah. so, 18, yeah. So, so in 1841, just to, just to see where the church is at. So the Nauvoo temple was being built during this time and it doesn't, I think Joseph passes away before it's completed, but the different parts were completed at different times. And then they would dedicate them in different ways. It's different than what they do now. But so the basement was done and the baptismal font was done. So they dedicated that on November 8th of this year. So tiny bit of um, that happening. So in the same year, 1841, Joseph um, gets his fifth polygamous wife. So this is Presendia Huntington. And she is the sister of, she's Zina's older sister. This is his first uh, sister pair. Yeah. So, so that's, I think, was there only two? I can't remember how many no, sets. Yeah. So just people that are listening, we kind of went off like into oh. Brigham, Brigham Young with Zina and kind of went off on her story a little bit. So now we're coming, now we're coming back. Um, we're circling back to when Joseph is still alive and his fit. So we're rewinding. Um, yeah. He at least married um, two sister pairs. So the Partridge girls, right. Mm -hmm. And then the, the Huntington girls. And so uh, Presendia was born in, eight, in 1810 in New York. She was the fourth of 10. Unfortunately, Presendia left no diaries behind. And so all that's left of her is a short autobiographical sketch and a few letters. So like Zina, she was already married when Joseph took her as a plural wife. And she's probably the one of the best candidates for them saying Joseph married women who had who were in unhappy marriages. Um, I don't think that's true, but um, I guess you can decide as we go through these slides. Definitely didn't seem to be like an abusive marriage. Just... Oh, yeah. So Presendia was married to Norman uh, on January 6, 1827, when she was 20, when she was 16, which is still pretty young. And Norman was only 20, was 22. He was a manufacturer and Presendia raised, Presendia was raised in a farming environment. And Emmeline B. Wells, who helped write her biography, she said she, Presendia, was inclined to be unhappy on account of it, though in a worldly point of view, they were well off. So like her husband was in the, in the, he was essentially a city man working in, the, yeah. in manufacturing and she was a farm girl. And she wasn't used to that kind of society. This is all very different to her and, and she just wasn't very happy with it. Uh, so in a letter dated January 22nd, 1829, Presendia's mother wrote to her own mother. So this is Presendia's grandmother um, that she's talking to. Our oldest daughter was married one year since her husband and two brothers and sister had experienced religion this fall. A great revival where they lived. She has again been brought to enjoy religion. So she's talking about her the church. Presendia had her first son at age 19. On December 12, 1829, they named him George. Soon afterwards, uh, Norman sold the machinery and business, and he purchased 100 acres of land in Jefferson County, New York, and there he built her a house and a barn and cleared 70 acres of land. So Presendia was now in her, her natural element, and she wove wool and she and flax and made feather beds from her. She had her own flock of geese, and she milked her own cows. So like, 
he sells he sells what he wants his job and buys her farm so like to me it seems like he's doing as much as he can to make her happy is yeah what it like, seems like yeah um okay and i'm gonna read this because julia will uh, get choked up so <laughs> tragedy strikes for Presendia and her husband uh, while on the farm, while on the farm, Presendia gave birth to a second son, Silas, who was born on Christmas Day in 1831, when she was 21. For two years, Presendia lived with her husband and two sons in peace and happiness as a mother and farm wife. However, on November 13, 1833, when Silas was just two years old, Presendia was boiling down cider in a very large brass kettle and put it in an adjoining room, where, unbeknown, un unknown to her, Silas wandered in and accidentally fell into the kettle of boiling uh one imagines the boy's screams and presendia frantically pulling him out of the boiling cider then desperately trying to treat her wounded disfigured child she tended him for 13 hours as he suffered excruciating pain but then died for the first time she experienced the agonizing grief of losing a child um, she later wrote no one but a mother can realize the sorrow of an accidental death so like that's just a glimpse of what her what's going on in her life just that's so hard to, like I know that throughout this episode we've been talking about other children dying Emma loses a lot of them but to lose your kid to an accidental death like this I think would be extra hard rather than losing them to some kind of sickness especially that, she would have felt responsible because right like she put the bat there some she could have felt like she could have present prevented this and mm -hmm. and it didn't happen so yeah, yeah. all are sad yeah uh, so after the death of Silas, Presendia's health declined, and she went under. Uh, she underwent a difficult and painful, another painful pregnancy. As the birth of her ch third child drew closer, in the beginning of March 1834, she became very ill, and Norman took her to see a doctor. She was too sick to return home, so she remained with Doctor Bag. Presendia came very near death, and she bore her third son, Thomas Dimmick, on March 8, 1834. Presendia survived childbirth, but unfortunately, Thomas did not. So even by the age of 25, Presendia had lost two of her three children. She was nursed back to health, but the memories and experiences on uh, in her farmhouse had taken a toll on her. So Norman sold the farm and rented a woolen factory in Lorraine, New York, resuming his favorite employment. So uh, to me, like with Norman selling again and going back mm -hmm. to own a business, like he's he's just trying to please his wife. He's just trying to take care of her and and keep her mental health as priority. Like I. Um, I, to me, it seems like he really does love her and that, yeah, really hard stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so in, while in Lorraine, New York, different ministers came to the area and they tried to convert them, but they were like, no, we don't believe that they're right. And so in the summer of 1835, Presendia's mother came and visited her with a copy of the Book of Mormon. Presendia was taught the word of wisdom and she felt that she should live it so that she can have the promises from it. But she didn't join the church yet. And in the fall of that year, two elders proclaimed the gospel in Presendia's old schoolhouse, childhood schoolhouse, and she and Norman were ready to be baptized, but they don't get baptized yet. At this time, there was Western fever. Everyone was rushing to go out West. And Norman, her husband, was really eager to go. But she was like, no, we need to be with the saints in Kirtland. So they sold their property again, and they moved to Kirtland. And so another sign that Norman is is in love with her and is trying to, to make her happy. Mm -hmm. So they travel to to, to Ohio and then they get baptized there. And then, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, so she was baptized and three days later he was baptized. But in September of 1836, Persendia had another child, Chauncey, and he died in less than a month in October. 
And then in 1838, Presendia, Norman and their son, George, now 10, traveled to Missouri with the Saints, and they arrived in far west in, in March. And then on April 24th, Presendia gave birth to her first daughter, Adeline Elizabeth, who only lived four hours. So a lot of these women oh. are going to lose children. So also, I find this really interesting. So while in Missouri, Norman became disaffected from the church, and it is not, we don't know exactly the reasons why, although I, though we can speculate. In an interview with Presendia, Emmeline Wells recorded, Mr. Buell, having apostatized from the church, was possessed of a very opposite spirit to that of his wife, who was, a strong, who was strong in faith and fervent in spirit. Sister Presendia prayed earnestly to the Lord for her companion, that he might return to the faith, but his mind had grown very dark, and it was useless to reason with or entreat him to see the error and doubt which had misled, misled and confused him. So she's just really struggling with a mixed faith marriage. So uh, Presendia's brother Oliver recalls that during this time Norman was in Clay County and he was he's saying uh, God Lord and devil for a time. So he's so he's really hesitating between like do I want to be active or do I not want to be active? And then the the time finally came where he chooses to leave the church. And some people say that he left he leaves because of money. Oliver implies that it was he was afraid of the mob. It was financial security that he wanted to leave, and because he had complaints against the church leaders. So. So uh, all very good reasons. All very good reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's Wells wrote. So Emmeline wrote that Norman tried to persuade Persenia to leave, but she remained steadfast. And then she said that Norman left the church in Missouri in 1839. And she's saying like, Lord, give me, Lord gave me strength to stand alone, to keep the faith in this heavy, amid heavy persecution. So again, she's feeling this. My husband is anti now he's ex Mormon and, and I'm not. And, and so a lot of people say that uh, some of these wives were unhappy with their first husband. That's why they married Joseph. To me, this doesn't seem like a marriage problem, but a, a belief problem, which I can see that being a cause of contention. I just, I hate that the church does that. The church pins the problem on the husbands. Yeah. Like um, and their marriage. Like it is very possible to have, to be an active member of the church while your spouse is feeling the way Norman's feeling. And criticizing church leaders and wanting to distance himself, it's it's possible to have a, a, a healthy marriage. And I just don't like that the church is making her feel like and other women feel like he has to be a member. That's the mm -hmm. only happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I was wondering personally why Norman left the church because he seemed like a really great guy. But so I made a list of things that were happening around this time that may be the reason why he left. So the Curlin State, the bank failed in 1837, which would cause me to doubt. Um, it's now led by God. <laughs> the, the, the Danite, the Danite, there was a Danite organization, which. Uh, which was involved in the, the Mormon war and possibly spurred it on and caused a lot of deaths. Yeah. So hearing about that, I don't think I'd feel comfortable if I was Norman, that this organization existed. And there was a thing called the consecration policy in which the church had the members give their land to the church and then they would lease it back to them as stewards. So like Norman has sold, <laughs> sold again and again. And I, he'd be like, I don't, I can imagine he'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is my land. This is my, yeah. I'm all, this is a, this is what um, Warren just did in short Creek. They, oh. they set up that trust where they did the same exact thing. Ew. They, yep. All they had to give everything to the church and then they set it up where the church owned everything. And then they told, them where to live. Well, he's got, and where he's they got could the live. scriptures to back him up. So yeah, that's really gross. Yeah. 
so a, another thing that was happening is that there were a lot of prominent church leaders leaving. So you have Oliver Cowdery, who was excommunicated because of Fanny because Alger, of, because of how he felt about Joseph and Fanny and Joseph was a fallen prophet. Never heard mm. that before. <laughs> so David Wimmer had resigned. John Wimmer, who was not, these are all witnesses. And then W.W. Phelps and Lyman Johnson had both left. I can imagine like if, if the apostles nowadays started leaving, I think that would probably shake a few people and be like, I don't know like what's going on. And then another thing is that they had a friend named Mr. Carey who had been killed in the fall of 1838 by an anti-Mormon mob. And so there's a there's another story where mm -hmm. um, where his wife is traveling with her son and there's a mob right there, but they know Normans and ex-Mormons. So they're like, we won't hurt them. But like, but there was a, she had a clear thought that she was going to die with her son. She's like, in fact, she was like, God, if they kill me, let them kill our son too, because I don't want our son to be raised with this ex-Mormon dad which is just really, really hard, but like, um, yeah, but there was a, but there was a fear in Missouri that they could be killed by Mormon mob, anti-Mormon mob. So like, mm. I can totally see why Norman would want to distance himself from the church. Yeah. Yeah. So again, there's a pattern of male. There's a male intermediary. Joseph approached Persendia's brother, Dimmick, who was the one who uh, approached Zina and asked that he ask for Z Presendia's hand in secret polygamy. And Dimmick then, then approached Presendia and Presendia agreed. One thing that I think is really interesting is that Joseph said, Dimmick, if you give me Presendia, I'll give you whatever you want because he's the prophet and he can do that. <laughs> but Dimmick says his only request was that where you and your father's family are, there I and my father's family may be also. And of mm -hmm. course, Joseph's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, what a sweet thing to ask, first of all, but like, what a horrible thing for Joseph to do. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I can do that for you. Like, I can guarantee you um, rewards in heaven. But like, he's just bribing, yeah, bribing men for. <laughs> anyway. That makes me. That makes me wonder if he deeded one of the um, quarters, like one of the blocks, mm -hmm. over to the Huntington family at that time. He oh, did that. He oh did yeah, he did that, that a lot. lot. Yeah, he did that in Nauvoo. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did that a lot. Even to women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, something yeah. else to write down. I'll have to look that up yeah. later. Okay, so often people say that jo like Joseph was just, they didn't understand ceilings. He was just trying to be connected to the men. But the thing is, <laughs> Joseph, Joseph was able to, there was a practice of men sealing themselves to men. So why didn't Joseph just seal himself to Dimmick or or whoever? Yes. And marry the like, women? He, they sealed them to like um, servants, like a whole bunch of oh, things. Yeah. They were doing ceilings all over the place. So, so the fact that Joseph... <laughs> himself to specifically beautiful young not always single women <laughs> it's problematic it's problematic it's yeah yeah especially when the, the only yeah religious texts that they have so that's what it's for yeah i don't know okay, so i didn't write a whole lot of, down about her uh for what the end because she stayed with the saints and she's got a a presence throughout the church history but after joseph's death presendia left norman without consent or knowledge so she just slips away in the middle of the night with their son so he wakes up his wife and son are gone and he's panicking and she just she said i felt like i would rather suffer and die with the saints than live in babylon as i had lived before so she's like i'm, I'm done with this i don't want to be in this mixed faith marriage anymore so she goes to, with the saints and she ended up marrying heber c kimball together they had two children and their oldest daughter, so, so she has another problematic, another child death. Um, one of her daughters drowned in the city creek at 16 months old. So that would have been really, really hard for both she and Heber. Um, 
But aside from that, she joked once to Kimball that she's like, um, as your plural wife, I have now moved over 20 times. And I'm, I'm like, I'm of age now and I'm ready to be done moving. So leave me in this house because mm -hmm. she wasn't his favorite wife. So she's having to move. And his first wife, the late, uh, didn't have to move at all. So she like was cozy. I don't know, like, like just a small glimpse of how hard these women's lives were Yeah, They're having to work for themselves, having to rely on their sister wives, having to rely on their children, moving all the time. Yeah. So very hard. So I wanted to add her testimony because people like to say polygamy is not wrong because the women liked it. The women were okay with it. And I just wanted to add her testimony. So she said, my testimony is I've never doubted the truth of the gospel, nor any portion of revealed from Joseph, from God by Joseph Smith. I have been in plural marriage 40 years, considered it one of the purest principles ever revealed to man. I have never spoken one word against the principle of the gospel, but have tried to honor and sustain the causes to the best of my ability. These are my true feelings in the fear of God. Like, sounds like she enjoyed it. I'm just like, it was just great. Just because someone defends something doesn't mean it's right. And I, I think the last sentence speaks a lot. These are my true feelings in the fear of God. Yeah. In the fear I, of God that she was taught. Yeah. That's a really good thing to point out. And I have never spoken one word against it. Uh, like, it sounds like she's defending herself. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 40 years. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to add these two women. I kind of talked to them about them at the beginning. But um, I just wanted to kind of add the women that Joseph proposed to that he turned down. And, and that turned him down. Oh, that turned him down. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so Eliza Winters, if you put her in chronological order, she would have been before Fanny Alger. So she would have been, if she were to, were to accept a Joseph, she would have been right first, right up front. So um, there's a source in the Susquehanna, uh, Centennial History of the Susquehanna County, um, that it says Eliza Winters was often at the Smith's house. So again, you can see the pattern of living together or in close proximity. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and much in Miss and much in Emma's company, the young woman who the young women were on very intimate terms, and very many times did Emma tell her friends, tell her young friend about the finding of the gold plates or the golden Bible. The book also states that Eliza Winters was born in 1812. So during this time of the plates, um, Joseph would have been what did I say? Joseph was either 22 or 23, and, and Eliza would have been 15 or 16. So, so really, really young. Um, yeah. So. In this other statement, this is, people find this problematic, but I haven't seen anything yet to make me doubt that this took place. So if there are sources out there that, that dispute Eliza, um, I'd like to see them. But so this was published in the Mormonism Unveiled. This is one of the Hurlbut affidavits. So Lewis, Emma's cousin, states that he has been acquainted with Joseph Jr. and Martin Harris, and that he has heard both of them say, adultery is no crime. Harris said that he did not blame Smith for for his Smith's attempt to, to seduce Eliza Winters. So um, people will say like, oh, why would Harris and Joseph say that adultery is no crime? But like, if they're justifying polygamy and Levi understands that as adultery. Anyway, so I just thought that was really interesting. This, he, even right when he marries Emma, he's pursuing other women. So, yeah. Okay, so this next one is Sarah Pratt. Um, this is Orson Pratt's wife. So this was taken from the Sangamo Journal. You can just Google that that source, and it'll bring you right to the newspaper, and you can read this whole story. This is a really long story, so I'm going to try to like try to sum it up. Um, but this is all from John C. Bennett. So immediately, um, 
people will see this as antagonistic and that he's lying. But what I like is that like this, every, every part of the story follows the patterns of Joseph Smith. And at the end, John C. Bennett's always clear to say, go and talk to these women yourselves because they will tell you the truth. And so like, I don't know if I have a lot of reason to doubt Sarah. Um, but anyway, so he says that, so he was talking to Joseph Smith and Joseph tells him that he wanted to take Sarah Pratt as one of his spiritual wives because the Lord had given her to him and she's already married to Orson Pratt. And so he says, will you, um, he says, will you help me? And John's like, no, I'm not going to help you. This is really terrible. He calls us his hellish purposes. And Joseph says, Joseph says, there's nothing wrong with it. If, if her husband never finds out. So, um, <laughs> so that's bad. Yeah. Uh, so John C. Bennett goes, he's like, I'm not going to help you, but he goes to Sarah Pratt and he's like, I'm, I'm going to warn you now that Joseph, I heard from Joseph that he wants to, to, uh, pursue you. And she's like, whoa, Joseph would never do that. She's like, I have to hear from Joseph's own mouth because I don't believe you. That's, he would never stoop that low. Yeah. And then, so Joseph comes to him and then he comes to Sarah Pratt and he was like, yeah, the Lord has given you to me to be one of my spiritual wives. And he says, I have the blessings of Jacob um, granted to me um, as the holy men of old. So like, look at the people in the Bible. God's just blessing me just like he blessed them. And if you go to the next slide. So uh, she's like, no, dude. <laughs> She's like, I care, not, I care not for the blessings of Jacob. I believe in no such revelation. And so she turns him down. So she says, no way. I don't care for the blessings of Jacob. I do not believe in any of these revelations. And then he, uh, later she's talking to someone else and she's like, Joseph is a bad man beyond a doubt. And she's talking to the sister Goddard. Joseph is a corrupt man. I know it for he made an attempt on me. Three times afterwards, he tried to convince Mrs. Pratt of the, of the propriety of his doctrine. And she at last told him, Joseph, if you ever attempt anything of the kind with me again, I will tell Mr. Pratt on his return home. I think he was on a mission and I will, and I will certainly do it. Yeah. And then Joseph says, sister Pratt, I hope you will not expose me. If I am to suffer, I'll suffer. So do not expose me. You will agree not to do so. And she's like, yeah, I will, but you have to like, stop. You have to stop pursuing me. And then later Joseph does this weird ritual thing, which I just thought was interesting. He says, um, Captain Bennett, um, kill, kill a lamb and then rub its, ripe its blood on the door frames. And then after this, after that, he says, all is now safe. The destroying angel will pass over without harming any of us. So I guess there's another reference to the angel. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So then he says, John Bennett continues on with his story. He says some time passed. And then Joe sees, Joe insults Mrs. Pratt again after her husband to return home from his mission by approaching her and kissing her. And this really offends her. And she tells Mr. Pratt, she tells Orson Pratt, and he was super mad. He was really enraged at Joseph. And he says, Joseph's like, I don't desire to kiss her. And then or, um, Bennett says, we've omitted the names of certain people because we don't want to hurt their characters. But we want you to know that Joseph Smith is doing these things. And he's just really disgusted at Joseph. So like, and again, go appeal to Mrs. Pratt to see if these things are not true. So like, this is following the same pattern of of uh, why everything that we've talked about before. Okay, so this is a, I, the reason I wanted to include Miss Sarah Pratt is because of what her connection with Luce, is Lucinda um, Harris. Anyway, so she says, um, she was talking to somebody. Um, who, uh, uh, she was telling somebody, this noble lady. Uh, wait, this noble lady. Wilhelm. Oh yeah, she's talking to Wil Wilhelm. She says, when Joseph had made this dastardly attempt on me, I went to Mrs. Harris, who was one of Joseph's wives. 
to, uh, to unbosom my grief to her. To my utter astonishment, she said, laughing heartily, how foolish you are. I don't see anything horrible in it. Why, I am his mistress since four years. And so the dating of the story with Phyllis Cinda at 1838, which we discussed earlier. So mm -hmm. like, that's just another evidence to me that Joseph, like, we know that Lucinda is true. Why would this, like, how would Sarah know about that? Because mm -hmm. it was secret. Anyway, um, I just think- And she calls herself a mistress. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She sees herself as a mistress, so. Mm -hmm. Kind of shady, though. Anyway. Kind of shady. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. Yeah. Is that, that's I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's the first five. <laughs> yeah, that's just the first five, and there's a lot more to go, and there's it's like 30 more to go or something. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And like these of going through all this stuff and pulling out all this history just makes me really mad about it all. And that's just that's just five. That's just not even a handful of these women. And like you were saying, um, Helen Mark Kimball is probably the one of the most problematic because she was just shy of 15. <laughs> yeah. I hate that they say that. I mean, yeah. come on. Um, yeah, I found out in my genealogy that we're 10th cousins. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We're related. Cause, ah. um, I'm like, not, not removed or anything. We're just tenth. direct. Yeah. 10th cousins nice. or whatever. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting to find out because I, besides Fanny Alger, she was the other one that I connected to. So it was interesting when I found out I was related to her. But um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know. The things you pointed out, I think are really important that there's, there's a pattern that you see. And when you see a pattern against women, it's really important to kind of stop and look at that. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, and it's not just one, it's not just one thing that he did. It's, yeah. you know, going to the mill and then having, or going to the women first and then her saying no, and then going to the yeah. mill and have him go around about way to try and convince her and then tell her her eternal, you know, either damnation or, you know, crowned with glory, you know, but you choose. You choose. Yeah. You know? Like if you don't say yes, I'm going to die. The whole church will be left with a, without a prophet and mm -hmm. it will be your fault. Like, yeah. Cause oh, the angel with the sword came and you better yeah. say yes. You know, He's if like, you don't, you're like ruining the whole church. Well, yeah. and to start with all of these women he lived with for a short time, either in their house or they were in his house. So mm -hmm. that's grooming. Like yeah. or even the male intermediary where it's like, like I'm going to ask her brother to ask her mm -hmm. this male that she trusts so much. Like that's also grooming. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Prepping these women and probably bribing them like in a lot of cases. Yeah. Definitely with exaltation um, or damnation, like you'd mentioned with yeah, or damnation. But um, as far as giving them things, you know, though in heaven is when you're going to get this great reward, you know, yeah. Um, and or land or their family security or like all these things it's just so hard it's just so hard i just can't see this is one part of the lds history where apologists like i can't see how they can get around it like how they can not see exactly what's happening here mm -hmm. you'd have to be so 
disconnected from <laughs> your own being. I don't know, to be able to say that that's okay in any way, like all these things that happened. Well, but I um, guess that's kind of the mindset of the LDS church is that kind of what they teach women were kind of like a don't have autonomy. Yeah. Right. I was going to say that patriarchy in general, just this, it just fits in. So a man who believes in the patriarchy, there's no reason for him to question that polygamy isn't the right thing. Like, um, yeah, I do deserve to have several wives who do everything for me and give well, me as many children as I want. Like, yeah, that makes complete sense to me as a man who believes that I am like, have the power of God and like, the power to be a God. Yeah. And you know? the decisions yeah. for everybody. And my wife doesn't really get an opinion. I, I mean, I'll ask her her opinion, but it, I'll override it. That's the, mm -hmm. like, the law of Sarah or whatever. What well, is that the, the, oh, the, that's the most know, BS law I've ever heard. And it like scriptures, it I'm like, oh, you just have like, to read it. And you're like, like, if she doesn't give you permission, yeah. do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to go. It's like the law. You have to go and you have to ask her, even though Joseph didn't. Mm, yeah. That's another thing, you know. Yeah. We have to go and ask her. But then if she doesn't, it's okay. You don't need to just okay. go. But wait, I was going to add to like just this year in the temple, one of the changes was that instead of the woman being the helpmeet for the man, they are now both helpmeets and companions to each other. Each other. So mm -hmm. like we're moving to a more equal, equal relationship whereas it's before 2023 whereas before so. the women had to bow their heads in covenant to obey the law of their husband like mm -hmm. it wasn't just marketing to the husband but it was the law of the husband so like we're we're getting we're just now getting better yeah but then but then in all the other words in the church they're like you know well the priesthood power the priest did this the priest did that the priest did that and so it's like like I'm done. This is like, I've said this for so long in my faith journey, but I'm so done with our double talk. Like yeah. so done that it's just, you can't get away with it anymore. It's not like we're smarter now. Like we're smarter than that. But then again, what I was 42 when I <laughs> finally had a little bit of smart kick in, you know, as far as the church goes. So, you know, I, I get that. Like I, I have, I can hold space for where they're at. I can't. But as soon as you know, <laughs> as soon as you know, you know, you know, yeah. yeah, it's always there. It's always there. And it, there's just no, you just can't make sense of it. You just really can't. So that this, this whole idea right here was the main reason that I started questioning the church is because I realized I was a feminist. Mm -hmm. Um, dirty word in Mormonism. <laughs> I was like, wait, um, I, a woman, am capable and as smart as, if not smarter than my husband, why do I have to follow his directions on, on everything? I remember being really insulted that I we were at the family dinner table and I was like, hey, so-and-so, will you say the prayer over the food? And my husband like gave me this dirty look and was like, I have to decide who gives the prayer. You can't do that. And I was like, what? That doesn't like, this isn't like a meeting. You don't need to. And he's like, no, yeah, that's, that's how patriots they preside. I was like that feels really, that doesn't feel right to me. Right? Like, yeah. it feels and like, I was more educated and more educated than my ex-husband. And there was a lot of things that I had to like 
teach him. Like, and so me having to bow to him in a lot of regards felt really, really wrong. So it started with that. Mm -hmm. And then it, it like became really clear as I like looked through the lens of feminism at our church that it's really sexist. And then going from there and like, obviously polygamy always felt really gross and like, like a, mm -hmm. like a blackness in my chest whenever I heard about it. But then like, yeah, it just piles on, piles on. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You hear, you hear one really good heart-wrenching <laughs> polygamous story and you're like, oh, I'm gone. Yeah. 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 It really truly was that to me. It was the one I was holding on to everything I could, you know, I was holding on, I was trying to keep it afloat. And that one story, it was one story and it was done. It was all over. Wait, so I like, I, I appreciate um, members and historians who can accept everything with polygamy and just see Joseph as a flawed person. Like um, uh, some historian, I can't, uh, Patrick Mason, mm -hmm. said that he's like, with polygamy, you can't put lipstick on a pig. It's just bad. Joseph just, this was a bad thing Joseph did. But to me, if you have that view, which I know there's a lot of people that do, um, while I admire it, if Joseph is sleeping with these women or, or is cheating on his wife or lying to her, how can he have the spirit to receive the revelations that he did mm -hmm. to guide the church? Like, how yeah, breaking up families that are happy, like, yeah, like all of these things that are so evil, just being such an evil. See, I can't see that. And, and so I'm trying to understand. I that's I have a hard time understanding them, too, because if you're doing that, if you're doing that to one person, if you're being so evil to one person and then you're acting like a whole other person in this other sphere two -faced. you're still the evil person yeah but also because like that's what you need to make right as soon as you make that right then then we can believe yeah. this this person that's over here but when you're doing this and doing this you're you're this person and repeatedly 35 yeah. times right yeah Right. Well, like in the church teaches you, if you, if you break the law of chastity, you won't have the spirit with you. But if Joseph's breaking the law of chastity, how is he leading the church? Like what spirit is he leading the church with? If this is the case, like there's no way I, there's no way to reconcile to me polygamy, like, and, and maintain that the church is led by men who are called of God. Like I, and then that story of Joseph and Emma, it just bugs me now. Like the one where he's like, oh, I can't, I can't translate because I was mean to Emma. Now I have to go out and find her and apologize and then come back. Yeah. He went out and apologized and came back in and then he's all perfect again. Yeah. No, with everything you're doing here, buddy. No. Well, like, and then like the church tries to depict in the, in their films there, that there was no polygamous wives, that they were super happy. Yeah. I, until I left the church, I didn't even know Joseph had more than one wife. I, I didn't either. As an ex-Mormon, I was like, nah, he was only married once. That, that was Brigham Young. Like, I'm like, they made, might have married some people to him after he died, you know, like sealed some yeah. people to him, you know, so they have more, you know, whatever, yeah. Yeah. you know, just so they have, are connected to someone in heaven. Like this yeah. is my mindset. And then I'm like, I think that's why, cause I found everything so fast. Mine was like, three days and of like 24 seven for those three days, wow. like researching and everything. And it was just over because there's no, in my mind and heart, there's just no way, no way. Yeah. Well, and, um, for me that it just crumbles after that, because if Joseph is not a good person 
then mm-hmm. how well, can, Brigham like, for sure wasn't a good person. Yeah. Brigham yeah. was a bad person. <laughs> he was yeah. like, not just not good, he was bad. Okay, what were you going to say? But if Joseph's not a good person and he's potentially not having the spirit of the Lord, then the Book of Mormon is in question. Then mm-hmm. the Word of Wisdom is in question. Then, like, the everybody he chose to be his, like, 12 are in question. Like, there's you know who's in question. And you know who's in question the most is God. Oh, like, why are you asking him to do that? That's a really, really good point. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't just, and I think that's why it spun me so hard is because I'm like, this is, this is everything. Mm -hmm. Like, this is everything. Because if I choose now to believe that, then I have to also choose that that is the God that I want to believe in. But, like, so many things, like, God's going to say, um, marry Fanny, but also tell the church that we don't live polygamy. And he's going to say, um, I'm going to send an angel and you, and you have to tell that I'm not going to send an angel to the woman. You have to tell her And also <laughs> if like, I will kill you if you don't, if this already married woman won't marry you. Like, like if that's the God, that's so wrong. Like, yeah, it, it, and no wonder people transitioning out of the LDS church are so like in trauma, (laughs) they're like opposite direction. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're on the, I always use the pendulum thing, but you're on this and you swing clear over here because you're just, you can't make sense of it when you learn the truth. Like you can't make sense of it all. And it doesn't fit together into this connection that you thought you had. Right. It's like, when you connected. Yeah. Like Joseph Smith is connected to Jesus Christ, is connected to God, is connected to your entire religion. So if you're taking Joseph Smith, you're taking everything. Yeah. And then when you don't believe, you also take everything humanly from you too, because you take your community, you take your, you know, your groups you went to a couple times a week, you take your, your children's friend group, you take, you know, your marriage might be in jeopardy because you believe something different and then you don't feel like you're good enough. Like there's so, it's like, it really is like a shattering of, of everything that, yeah, everything that you know. And so those people that are transitioning out of the LDS church, I have like, there's something within me that has like this protection for them. Like I want to just protect them so much from anyone else harming them that it's just because they're in such a tender spot once they leave because everything doesn't make sense anymore for a little while yeah and then eventually it makes a lot more sense yeah and for me i remember questioning like okay so I don't believe any of this is true anymore. I I don't know what is true. And in fact, what are my morals? Like I went for a mm-hmm. long time studying, like I read several books trying to figure out what my moral compass was. Now I was like, mm-hmm. what do I even believe is right and wrong? It, because it was so very clearly set out for me from the time I was born, what was right and wrong. And I knew exactly where the lines were. And now suddenly there were no lines, you yeah. know, just shakes the very foundation of who you are as a person mm-hmm. yeah like you're making me think like with the church i feel like the church helped me form a moral compass mm-hmm. and when i started learning more i was like you don't fit that anymore no you like, can't yeah. you can't lie to emma you can't you can't yeah. 
marry you. This doesn't fit anymore. And I have you to can't go have her. an affair in the barn and yeah, still be a prophet like, and someone who speaks your God. Like yeah, it just yeah. doesn't work. Didn't live up to my moral compass and or the, or the way yeah. that they lied about all of the history. Like yeah. that's not covered it up. Like mm -hmm. to right now, like we can still be mad at the prophets in the 12 right now because that's what they're doing yeah. continually. Yes. And so they're still harming people. And it's just enough, like enough is enough. I don't know. There's just, um, there has to be like a softer place. <laughs> there has to just be this soft, like, um, which I think a lot, I love a lot of people and what they're doing, like for the community, like the lost and found club. Um, there's a lot of groups, um, Faith Journey Meetups for Women. I really love that group. I think it's um, run really well. And, you know, just find find a spot of love in your healing. That's what I would suggest because it's hard. It's hard for a little while, but it will get better. It will get better. It does, yeah. And you get to choose, like, your morals. You get to choose what you believe mm -hmm. in and pick all of the best things and keep them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, going back through and deciding, oh, you know what? I do love integrity or honesty. Um, yeah. and that's important to me. And I want that to be a, like an important value to me. Um, I don't need, um, the coffee and the tea thing. Like I can let that go, but I do want to, you know, abstain from drugs or whatever, like but yeah. the beautiful way to finally be able to choose who you are and what you, you know, what you believe in and, and what your life is going to look like that you didn't, in my case anyway, didn't have the choice to, yeah. make, you know, yeah. um, the first go around. Yeah. Within the yeah. Mormon church, it feels like you don't really have agency. You have agency to choose what they've already told you to choose. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Fit yourself into Mormonism. But when you leave it, you have the opportunity, like you said, to pick what you want to. And if you're mm -hmm. born into it, like I was, you don't have a choice to choose it either. Like it's like there, I had this argument with my dad. Um, he was like, if, Oh, if you don't believe it, it's fine. Um, you know, it's fine. I'm not going to push it on you. You can go, just go live somewhere else. It's, it's fine. You, we won't have any disagreements. Just like separate yourself. That's fine. And I was like, but, but dad, there's so many kids who are in this religion for like no choice of their own. And um, what is the statistic? Like one in five kids is gay. Um, one in five of those kids is being forced or, you know, in, if you don't want to call it forced, but being taught, being taught that yeah. they are wrong, that they yeah. are evil, essentially, um, which is why there are so many suicides, mm -hmm. right? Anyway, he did not want to hear that. <laughs> he did not want to hear that argument. Um, yeah. It's just, that's like, that's why we are fighting for the church to change is because that's those kids, yeah, that's why we won't leave it alone is because those kids need somebody to speak up for them and say, Hey, you can't, you can't treat us this way. That's not okay. Cause if we're just mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, and do what you're going to do Bye, you know, and, and disappear. But those kids don't have anybody to speak up for them. Right. But not, yeah. just, not just LGBTQ, but, but black people, women, trans people, mm -hmm. like, like just, they all need everybody a, who isn't a white cisgendered man, basically. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot it, like just doing this podcast. I've learned so much that I did not know before, even like, um, Sarah Newcomb and like the, 
you know, teaching the Native Americans that they were Lamanite and like that whole, that whole thing I have no clue about. They're just so affected so many things that it's hard when you're a true believing Mormon, you, you don't even, I guess, have the, you're ignorant to it all. Um, you just don't know how full encompassing it is and how it's hurt so many people. Um, but that is, um, what you were saying in America earlier, that is one of the first things like, um, I coach people that are leaving the LDS religion. And that's the first thing I have them do is build a new value system, like that's choose beautiful. it for themselves. Yeah. You, you get, you have the choice now. Um, even if there are still in and out, what feels right to you, you choose. Um, and it's, it's interesting how just offering that to them, like offering that choice to them. Yeah. is so empowering. It's so empowering. Like, Oh, I, I guess I, I didn't know I could do that. I don't know. I didn't know I could, you know, choose this for myself and there's good people out there and I can be a good person and still, and not, you know, believe in all, all of this. So. Right. Because like you think when you're in the church, you think there is one right way and there is the truth. So when you're like, okay, this isn't the truth. What, what is the truth? You know, capital T, um, Cause you think there has to be the one you, you're still in that mindset where it has to be this way, you know, like I can't be who I am and, and have my relationship with God and, and you two can both have yours and your relationship with God. And I don't think mine's better than yours, right. you know, and I can just love you for your path that you've chosen. Right. And it's, I love living in that space. I, I, I think that's the, thing I'm most grateful for in my faith transition is being able to love people no matter who they are or where they are. Yeah. That's, that's the, the one value that I landed on as my, as my cornerstone is unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I had come um, face to face within Mormonism for some reason, but um, unconditional love, trying to reach people where they're at, accept them as they are, who they are, what they've gone through and um and offering my true self to other people so they mm-hmm. can yes and it's the most free and most truly loved i have ever felt and it's, mm. it's more like the spirit of god than i have ever felt yeah because it's a personal relationship mm-hmm. you know with whoever god is to you yeah i love that for you guys i love that for you <laughs> Well, um, okay. So next time we meet, so we're, these will always release on the first Saturday of every month. So, um, watch for this series to be coming out. So we'll do five wives each month, I guess for seven months. And then we'll kind of talk about, we might talk about the ones at the end, right, Julia, that, um, the proposals the proposals we might do a podcast on the proposals or were we just going to do them after each one after each time um, frame i don't know it depends on how many there are and if they can because if because this one was easy because there was only two yeah. um, there's not a lot of information yeah um that depends on because i think that there was a whole list probably five at least so you could mm-hmm. probably i could probably i don't know i'll have to see how much information there are if not we'll, I'll just, 
I can just yeah. We'll see how it goes and how long the the other ones take. Um, right. how many hours to get into it? But we're yeah, I guess we're just under two hours here. So, yeah. but thank you again. Thanks, Julia, for all your work and America for helping today. And are you gonna be joining us on the rest? I hope so. Hopefully. If you if you'd like, probably. <laughs> <laughs> She does all the hard work and then what, what she does. Happens, you know, she does all the hard work and then she tells me about it. And I and I yeah. didn't listen to your polygamy again. Um mm -hmm. but that's pretty much all the work I did. So I'm just here to like yeah. be a sounding board and reader and um comic relief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. So yeah, so um if you are listening to this one, you can read up on the next five with us as we study and kind of put the slides together for this next one, but we'll do the next five. Yeah, and the next one next one there's a mother-daughter pair and then Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth Leitner, who is one of my favorites just because of her story. It's just really interesting. So we can look mm. forward to those two. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. Okay. Well, thank you, um, everyone who is on this journey with us, learning about um, Joseph Smith and his polygamous wives. And thank you for being here with us on our Truth Be Told podcast. And we will see you next time. Thanks. Jane. Bye, everybody.